We went from being just the most stupid fad and no one believed what we were about to being this product that was a necessity. Welcome to The Founders. This is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to the founders themselves. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And in this episode, we're speaking to the co-founder and marketing director of Cano Water, Josh White. Josh had quite an emotional and turbulent journey leading up to becoming the founder that he is today. I'd go home in tears. I was a 22 to 25 year old, hiding my emotions, not wanting anyone really to know how bad things were. Along with that, Can of Water saw a lot of pushback from its idea stage, but it was David Attenborough who inexplicably created a huge turning point for them. In order to create a new community, you need those forward-thinking, perceived as weird individuals that are going to take the lead. We consider Josh the face of Can of Water as he has a very strong personal brand. However, this comes despite some serious stage fright. Being the face of the business is, is actually scary sometimes because there's a lot of people that, you know, I, I don't want to let down, so I need to make sure, you know, that, that everything's perfect and, and, and done right. This is the co-founder and marketing director of Can of Water, Josh White. Enjoy. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. So you are the co-founder and marketing director of Cano Water. But before we get into the founding story of Cano Water, can you tell us about your career leading up to your founding of the company? Sure. So uh, I actually started Cano Water at about 22 years old. That's where the idea sort of started. So I didn't have too much of a, of a career, I guess, but... I was sort of dipping in and out of things. I was definitely a very lost uh, child. I had no, I would say I didn't have a lot of purpose and didn't really know where I was going to end up. A lot of that sort of stemmed from my ADHD and not really being, um, you know, that academic at school. So I did a lot of random things. I sold hair wax, actually, (laughs) at one point where I'd go into barbershops and and try and get them to buy this uh, particular hair wax. I worked in local shops to earn a little bit of money. Uh, And then I'm a DJ as well. So I've been DJing since I was 11 years old. And um, that's something that I've been passionate about, absolutely obsessed with music. So I sort of, I guess that was paying the bills um, up until Cano Water and I was doing a bit of events here and there. So I guess I didn't really have any sort of solid career, but I was always going into the uh, more of the creative world, whether it be you know, art or music. And according to your LinkedIn, you, you founded your events company in 2011. Did, did you always want to work for yourself and, and set up a business? Yeah. Do you know what? It wasn't that I wanted to. It was just, it was more of a natural progression, really. So that events company uh, was my first ever business. I started it, I think, about 18 years old. It didn't feel like a, like, like a company. It felt like just a bit of fun with some mates and it turned into a bit of a monster. So we were putting sort of seven to 8,000 people into venues. We were working with the, you know, a lot of like the biggest artists in the grime and um, electronic scene in the UK. And um, it was the most incredible time as a, as a sort of like an 18 year old kid because we had this incredible company, but it was also one of the most stressful times of my life. It actually was my first experience of failure. Unfortunately, my brother got diagnosed with cancer. He was uh, 12 years old and it was a really tough period for me because I was running this business, but at the same time, I had to go and um, 
be with my family. He was in Great Ormond Street for a year, so I had to sort of uh, sleep there quite a lot of times in the week to when my parents couldn't. So it was a period where I didn't have the know-how of how to keep the business afloat, really, and deal with that type of trauma at the same time. So everything actually sort of went a bit left. And um, it was an under-18s events company. And at that time, a lot of those uh, events were getting banned in London. So I stepped away from the business and I decided... Uh, to sort of concentrate a little bit more on my on my personal journey at the time because I wasn't uh, you know in the greatest of places. Luckily, my brother's fine today. But something that I learned from that particular company, you know, I I, I couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel after that. So I, I, I genuinely thought, uh, am I ever going to have anything else that could be as special as as this? Um, I loved the whole culture side of it and being part of something in London that, you know, not a lot of people were doing. And it was quite special at the time. And um, obviously, Can of Water came a few years later. But in between High Frequency, the events company and Can of Water, I was very lost. <laughs> and are you able to expand on that uh, at all? What was the series of events that led to starting up Can of Water? And how did you get out of that place? And did Can of Water help you sort of find yourself in the in the world again? Or was it that something that you discovered before founding the business? Yeah, so it's funny, it's funny you say that. It's very well put, actually, because, you know, I was lost. Uh, I didn't have a business. I sort of, it's very difficult. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't know whether it's an ego thing or like, you know, to go from having something that's amazing and then just having nothing. It's, a scary place to be and you start to you know at that at that age I, I cared about what people thought and it is sort of like one minute you've got everything next minute you've got nothing and your life is sort of flipped up, upside down with everything that's happening with my brother so I was very lost in that regard um, I always wanted to do something that was different I've always been like that as a kid I was always I would never go and do what everyone else did I was always find my own path and do something else and um, try to be creative in, in in my own way and not copy others. You know, take inspiration, but um, do it in my own in my own way. So I think that can of water. I was never looking for a can of water. I never looked at myself as an entrepreneur. You know, I never went to uni. I could never stick at things. So you know, one minute I wanted to be a music producer, the next minute I wanted to be an artist and this and that. And you know, part of my ADHD and a common thread of ADHD is starting something and not finishing it and that was very much me can of water just happened really you know went on a trip to thailand me and my two best friends very similar to me also a little bit lost uh, in life at that age and it, nothing was planned it was literally just a case of coming across vast amounts of plastic pollution being shocked at how brands that we grew up loving were allowed or even you know that were polluting the planet and we didn't even know you know, we all live in London. Um, we grew up in uh, near Watford in Hertfordshire. You know, around here, you don't see plastic pollution building and building and building. And it was a big shock. So it wasn't even at that point, it wasn't like, oh, my God, we're going to start a business. It was more of like, wow, how is this happening? And we became completely obsessed as to how is this happening? And can we do anything that can change this? And one thing that it did really help me is it gave me a sense of purpose um, it gave me, you know, and the other boys a sense of like, you know, direction and wow, is this something that we can, you know, we didn't even know about cans at this point. It was just like, how can we, it was like very authentic, very passionate. And 
you know, when you are lost, especially with ADHD, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term hyperfocus, but, you know, I get so bored of things so easily. But if I am interested in something, I just hyperfocus and become obsessed. And the three of us just became completely and utterly obsessed with making a difference, which is, I guess, where I was found, really. And um, for the past seven years, I felt like I've got direction, really, for the first time in, in those sort of two, three years uh, in between high frequency and, and camo. Just on that topic that you talk about there, about being obsessed with something, um, we've spoken to quite a few founders on this podcast, and I think a lot of them do talk about, at the start of uh, founding their business, they are more than you would see typically most other people obsessed with this idea that they've generated and obsessed with turning this idea into, into a successful business, obsessed being beyond beyond norm. Um, do you think this obsession that you, you talk about now, p- partly due to ADHD as well, do you think that's something that actually helped you in this process? 100%. I mean, I in loads of areas in my life, you know, music as an example, completely obsessed with music, I make sure, I'm 32 years old, but I make sure that every single Friday, new music comes out on Friday. And I'm always, every week without fail, I go on a morning walk bright and early in the morning and uh, listen to all, you know, all the new music. I won't skip anything. I literally, I'm obsessed with making sure that I'm up to date with current music. And it's the same with Cano. I'm a firm believer of not getting into burnout because I've got into burnout too many times. and. that is not a great place to be in. I'm more of a fan of looking after yourself. But do I switch off? No, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm completely uh, and utterly obsessed with making Cano work. We wouldn't be where we are today in such a disruptive um, category if we didn't have that drive. Because the truth is, is we were told by so many individuals that we would never be able to make this work. That naivety, that mentality of, well, we're going to make it work. So you either you know, it's like that, if you can't beat them, join the mentality. I think that that's the mentality that we've had. And the three of us are very, very similar in that thinking. We're just so passionate. I see a lot of brands that have that, but I also see a lot of brands that don't have that. And I think that's where a lot of brands get left behind. Let's go back for a moment to when you were in Thailand and you saw the level of pollution that was over there. You said that you didn't you know, it wasn't almost like a, a moment straight away where you thought, right, we're going to open this business called Can of Water and this is what we're going to do. Um, but what were the steps to get into that point? What what happened between seeing that level of pollution in Thailand and getting to the idea and, of Can of Water and then launching it? So I think that most people would just see the <laughs> the plastic and just get on with it. Now, look, it's obviously a shocking thing. You know, we're not environmentalists by any means. You know, we are not perfect. Uh, I always say that I, I was part of the problem before, and now I try and be part of, uh, of, a, of a solution or the solution. I, you know, can of water is our solution to the plastic problem, and all we did really, we just did the research. You know, we did the research. It was never sort of let's put water in a can from from day one. It was let's see what's on the market. We, we're not scientists, so we can't just create something that poof, it just disintegrates in thin air. You know, we, we haven't got that expertise, but through doing copious amounts of research and seeing like, you know, the different forms of packaging and, you know, plastic versus glass versus Tetra pack and other materials, even, you know, versus like a flask and tap water. There are positives and negatives in all different forms of packaging. It just so happens that aluminium is by far the most recyclable and is also as on the go as a plastic bottle. 
glass, you could argue, isn't as on the go because it smashes and it's heavy. People don't want to carry it. Tetra Pak is not that recyclable and it's fused with different materials and it's uh, not as difficult. And it also doesn't get very cold, whereas a can gets very cold. So I think that we went through all of these sort of um, these decisions and tap water is, is obviously better for the planet. But what happens if you reuse your flask? People are just going to go and buy another plastic bottle. So it wasn't just as simple as just going straight into a can. It was doing all of this sort of this mentality and uh, and sort of testing it with family and friends and got to the bottom of why no one has ever put water in a can before because you can't close the can and you can't see mm. water and it might taste rubbish and all of these. So for us, it was like, how do we get over these barriers? And the steps were literally just calling up people and building relationships with people and getting told no by so many people. But then that person might know someone who might know someone else who might know someone else. And me and the other boys would literally just spend hours on the phone trying to pee, like you know, put the, put the jigsaw puzzle together, uh, which really wasn't easy, especially when you're the first person in the world to put water in a can. You know, with the people that are doing it today, they needed us to do the building blocks. We did those blocks and, you know, we are forever grateful that, um, you know, that other brands are putting water into cans now because that's that was something that we always wanted from the beginning. But, you know, we had to do that legwork for sure. You've said in the past that the, the first couple of years um, or the first few years were quite tough uh, for Can of Water as a business because you, you needed to convince people of putting water in a can. Um, how big was that pushback initially? Enormous. I mean, I've, you know, I, I speak to a lot of founders. Um, I think that when you've got something that is so foreign and so alien to the general public, you are always going to have pushback. But some people have like variations of something. We had a completely new concept uh, and it was depressing, like to the point where we believed in it so much. But no one else believed in it. You know, we, 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 we had such huge pushback from entrepreneurs that we looked up to, to buyers of some of the biggest sort of retailers in the country. And at first it was sort of, we don't understand it. Why is anyone going to want to do this? And it, within what we do you, do, you have to please multiple people. You can't just please the consumer. That's all good. But you've, the consumer needs to buy it from somewhere. So then you have to please the buyer. And before the buyer, you have to complete, you have to please a distributor. So it's all of these sort of all the all of these little building blocks that you have to and hurdles that you have to get over. And we weren't getting over any of them at all. And we, you know, for the first three years, it was really, really tough. And it was scary as well, because we put our lives into this and we'd sort of given up, you know, anything that we were doing to make this work. But what I would say is it really gave me. Um, a different view in life um, that is not easy. And I, I never really thought it was easy. I was never sort of the type of kid that sort of walked through life. I've always learned the hard way in everything that I've done, which has actually made me a stronger, uh, a stronger character. But in business, especially when it's your baby, it's really, really personal. And I've become a much more well-rounded, tougher, thick-skinned individual because that my, my journey from the beginning was, this is silly. This isn't going to work. Why would anyone do this? We had to make canned water a thing. And um, we did that, you know, with the help of 
consumers buying into it or the BBC and Sky News talking about it more. And with the help of these types of things, we were able to ride the wave of these and create this new category that didn't exist. When you're getting that kind of feedback and that pushback from people you look up to, from people who are trying the product, what's going through your mind at that time? I'd go home in tears. I was a 22 to 25 year old hiding my emotions, not wanting anyone really to know how bad things were. The three of us would have our days, you know, where one couldn't take it, the other couldn't take it. You know, we were, we were actually there for each other, which was quite, you know, I don't know whether I'll be able to do it without the other two from a, you know, anxiety and depression perspective because we sort of lent on each other. But it was really tough really really tough and i'm very open about these things because i hear sometimes i hear founders talk about you know how amazing it is and they don't talk about how tough it is and i think that that's listen that might be their Mm. journey you know but my journey was and, and hasn't been that it's been working seriously hard to convince people that we're not mad basically you know that's the truth so any win was just the greatest feeling in the world. And any loss was like, all right, we've experienced this. We're just on to the next one. Experiencing losses today is a lot different uh, for me than was in the uh, the early years of Caddo. And I'm really grateful. I'm actually really grateful that I experienced that at a young age because I think that it's important. And it, obviously with high frequency, I experienced failure. That made me aware of failure. But this... It's just having that that perseverance and carrying on because you can get very staying humble is something that's incredibly important and you've got to remember uh, those days of where when it was hard and I go back to those days and I remind myself of those days every single day because it's very easy to see the good but you know you've got to stay humble and you know for me that's remembering the bad. I wanted to ask about your slogan. So. The slogan "Don't bottle it." Did that was that inspired quite heavily by your journey, uh, or was it something that was come to collectively as a team? Originally, it was not something that was about our journey. That was the the thought process was there, but originally it was more about not putting water into plastic and obviously having cans and not bottling it that way. But we've always wanted don't bottle it to sort of have this message around unlocking people's potential challenging people turning the you know the can'ts into cans the impossible into possible you know i think that those are the types of things we've always wanted to do funny enough we never looked at it as our own journey but now we sort of we do and you know i'm i'm a lot more open around my journey because i think that it's incredibly important for me to be open for then other founders and entrepreneurs to just understand that it's sort of, it's okay to not be okay. When I first started Cano, all of the times, you know, where things were tough, I would listen to a podcast called How I Built This. Um, and that's why podcasts are really important because when I listened to, to that podcast, I heard some of the biggest founders in the world talking about their businesses and all of the bad stuff that happened to them and how they carried on. That really gave me hope for when things went wrong for us. You know, we, we've had times where, I genuinely believe that can of water wouldn't come out of uh, out of the scenario. But from listening to those podcasts, I actually really, really got a sense of belief of actually things would be okay. 
after these few years of getting this kind of pushback, you've you've overcome it as a business. You've managed to convince people that canned water is something that is something that people really want to, to consume. Was there an, a, like a key point that you had to get across? What was it that convinced them? You know, I think that we planted the seed. At this point, there was no one in the world that was doing canned water. You know, we were the only ones. And we were getting a little bit of traction, but it was really, really like we were going insolvent. You know, the company was making no money. The brand was very, very small. Like people were seeing it in the industry. There were a lot of celebrities that were seeing it. But, you know, to get national awareness, you know, you need a lot of money. So we didn't have any of that. So everything that we were doing was very organic, very guerrilla, very sort of just slapdash, but we need to just do it type of thing. You know, driving around London, handing out cans. I had stickers all over my car saying, grab a free can, talk to me about our cans, like all of this type of stuff. I'd get stopped in traffic and I would never, ever, ever drive away. Like I'd always sit there and talk to people about it because that was just telling another person was, was one more person that, that knew about it. And we would do all of these sort of things. We couldn't afford any train advertising. So we would literally just with blue tack, just stick things on trains, you know, any, anything that we could do. But I, I always say like we were just planting the seed, but we weren't really getting anywhere. But then David Attenborough did Blue Planet. And there was an episode where he he was speaking about this whale that had died and it died from plastic pollution and the whale's child was crying. It was really, really sad. And the nation had seen it and BBC and Sky, everyone was posting it. And literally we went from being overnight, being just the most stupid fad and no one believed what we were about to being this product that was a necessity. So all of the businesses that we had called and were told no, were calling us up because they were having pressure from whether it be investors or key stakeholders in the business that were saying like, we need to get rid of plastic. This is terrible. Blah, blah. And we became at that time, you know, the go-to people. And, you know, if we hadn't have gone through those years of planting the seed, no one would have known us. So, you know, they remembered that and that was incredibly important. And I think one thing I like to always mention is, we brought in a, a, a managing director and he you know, t- sat us down and said, the company's going bankrupt, guys, and we've got six months here to make this work. And if we don't, we just have to hang our hats up and just say that we've done a great job, but this is the best that we could do. And you know, I was planning my future because I didn't think that Canada Water was my future at this point in life because I thought it was all going to be taken away within the next few months. And on the fifth month, David Attenborough, did Blue Planet. Up until 2018, we had only really sold a few hundred cans. And then in 2019, we nearly sold 12 million cans, which is just the maddest thing ever. But it just shows that you can give up, but there might be success just around the corner. So I think that I'm really glad that we didn't give up. And I'm really glad that the you know the three of us plus our managing director really stuck together uh, as a team to uh, to make this happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here today. In terms of the plastic pollution, you, you had to see that in person in order for you to feel the impact and also spur that desire to do something about it. And it sounds like, based on what you've said about David Attenborough uh, producing Blue Planet, that it was also something that people around the world needed to spur change. When you saw that, was it always something that you had in mind when you first started planning the marketing of your product? Or uh, would you say that it kind of came out of the Blue Planet activity and it was just organic from that point? 
So I think that the three of us always wanted to create something that had meaning. And sometimes when you go mm. searching for meaning, you know, it's unauthentic. And we didn't have to search for it. It was there. It was passion that came out of it. I think that it needed all three of us to have the belief. And, and we did. We couldn't stop talking about it after the trip. It was something that just kept on. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's create a business about this. It was like we couldn't get it off of our mind. And we'd message each other in the group being like, you know, well, have you seen this? Or what about this? And this is great. You know, is there anything out there that's doing something? You know, maybe maybe someone had already created something that was great and, you know, we could just commend them for what they've done. But for us, it got to a point where we, where we wanted to, you know, create something bigger. And at the same time, we wanted to create a really cool brand, like a Red Bull-esque brand that didn't just bore people to death about, environmentalism and plastic pollution because the truth is is that we're all sick and tired of hearing about plastic pollution you know there's this environmental fatigue that it's sort of like all right yes we get it we know and and that's just that's normal we're fed so much to the point where we might see it once and it's like shocking and the more you're fed it you're like okay i know and i think that we wanted to create something that had a bit more meaning so the brand we wanted to make it look good feel good we wanted it to sort of feel like i've actually got a can here wanted it to feel like it was like you're accidentally helping the planet because you are just automatically walking around with something that looks and feels good something that's like the apple of water something that's the progression i actually explained it to some people and i used to explain it in early investor meetings that we all had our blackberry we were obsessed with our blackberry all of our mates had their bbms and everyone was just thought that blackberry was the best thing ever and then one weirdo came into school with an iPhone and you were like, you told that person like, why, why you need a BlackBerry? And they just, they were like the future. And they just sort of were like, no, I just, I mean, I've got my BlackBerry. And then a few months later, more people started to get the iPhone. And two years later, the whole group's got iPhones. And that's the switch, you know, that's the forward thinkingness. That's the future. And in order to create a community, a new community, you need those forward thinking perceived as weird type you know individuals that are going to take the leap and i think that can of water is way bigger than the three of us now but we were just those weirdos that went on the journey and created something that now means a lot more than just a, a, a can of water you know it's uh, other brands are doing it in the world and that's saying that people ask if we're scared of no we're not i'm not scared of that if i can say to my grandkids that the reason they're walking around with a can is because me and my two best mates decided to put water in a can because, and it doesn't need to be a can of water, it can be any can, but that's what excites me. Not the exit of the business or this and that. What really, really excites me is the fact that we've made change and we've made the big boys who are so big, you can't change my mind. We've made them do do something, we've shifted their mind. That's what really makes me smile. And you seem to be speaking to... Gen Z millennial audiences a little bit with your tone of voice. You recently sponsored Tommy Fury for his fight with Jake Paul. Do you feel like Gen Z and millennials are a lot more conscious uh, around this subject? I think that Gen Zs and millennials definitely take the um, information in because they've been around um, social media where they've seen a turtle with a straw up its nose or they've learned about it in in their curriculum you know in geography now they talk about plastic pollution etc you know we did a lot of university work in the early days so you know we naturally saw that students got on board quite easily but at the end of the day this is water 
and everyone drinks water, you know, everywhere. And it's very, very broad. So maybe on social media, we talk to like an 18 to 35 year old audience, but there's also a, a much broader audience that we speak to as well at different events or, you know, with a water for virgin um, Atlantic upper class where, you know, you have a, maybe a more mature audience that we, that we speak to. But, you know, Tommy Fury is actually a funny one because that was such a big fight and you had 10 year olds watching it and you had grandparents watching it because their kids, kids were watching it. And it was so funny because so many people watched it because it was so broad of the people you like you had like Mike Tyson that was there you had Ronaldo that was there with his kids and it was quite funny actually to see it because you would instantly think that it's a younger YouTuber audience but it really drew a really broad crowd which was really nice for us because we don't just want to speak to just Gen Z's and millennials because we have got a uh, anyone from 40 to 60 year olds drinking our product. On that point, what would you say are some key tips in order to make your brand more visible? I think doing things, doing original things, doing different things, being disruptive, coming up with original ideas. So like one thing that I always say to my team is I empower them to come up with new innovative ideas. As I said before, as me as a kid, like I would try not to copy anyone. I might take influence, but spin it in my own way. I always say to my team, no idea is a bad idea always bring the idea to the table. And funny enough, some of the things that most people would perceive as the most stupid ideas have come into fruition in, in our work. It just needed to be tailored and maybe that person's th- thought that, but then another person in the office came up with another idea around it. And I think that open-mindedness uh, is, is incredibly important when it comes to brand. And I think when you're being disruptive, you've always got to think of new ideas. You've always got to think differently you know, you're not going to cut through with the same old marketing 101. And we haven't got a lot of money to spend. So we have to think for ourselves, how do we make noise without spending loads of money? And that's always what's helped Cano get to sort of where it is. We've always done things a bit different. One of our founders, Perry, who's one of my good friends, who I started the business with, you know, incredibly talented designer. The cans look different. You instantly look at it and think, what is that? Why is that? Something that I haven't really spoken about on any podcast, you've got this exclusively, is we've actually got a uh, a rebrand coming out next week. So after seven years, we've got a uh, a new can coming out on the 11th of April, which we've been working on for over a year and a half. This is such a big thing for us. And it probably isn't big for anyone else apart from us, but for us, it's it's such a big thing because it's an evolution. It's something that we're not revolutionizing anything, but it's an evolution from the original branding to something new to take kind of water to the next level. So some people just, they don't think in that way. We're always thinking there's never a dull day in, in Cano and there's structure in the business, but there's also organized chaos that is just like, let's, how do we think differently? How do we do differently? Because we need to make noise. Speaking of branding, making noise, things like this. You do also have your own personal brand and, you know, externally from outside looking in, should I say, you seem to be the face of Cano Water. Was that a conscious decision that you made early on? Do you know what? Not not really. I, I, I've actually, um, up until a few years ago, I had immense stage fright. I actually had a, uh, a traumatic experience at a talent contest when I was about 15 years old, where I went on stage and literally just fainted and had the worst stage fright. So... 
one of my biggest forms of growth in Canna Water has been going out of my comfort zone. I have gone so far out of my comfort zone on this journey. It's unbelievable. When people ask me sometimes, like, what's the hardest thing? The hardest thing is actually speaking to people and, you know, making sure that I don't make mistakes. And being the face of the business is actually scary sometimes because there's a lot of people that, you know, I don't want to let down. So I need to make sure, you know, that, that everything's perfect and, and, and done right. But I think that um, the authenticity, being honest, being passionate is something that I've always naturally been. is isn't something that I've had to make. You know, that is something that I've always had. I've always been that person. So even though I've got immense fear sometimes around speaking at large events and um, presenting, going out of my comfort zone and just saying to myself, I've got to do it. No one else is going to do it. And then I do it. And then what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I grow. It's just, that's been by far the, the greatest gift. I, I would say that, you know, the other two founders are incredibly important and, you know, they're also the faces of the brand. But I, uh, it fell on my lap and here we are. Do you think it's important to run in a successful business to have a personal brand? Yes and no. I think that people want to see today who the brand is, what they are, what their real beliefs are, what, uh, you know, the people behind the brand. I think that that is incredibly important. So people buy into brands that are a brand for them. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Don't Bottle It is so important because you could look at our cans as this pristine can that could look like it's uh, owned by some enormous corporation and it's uh, loads of men in a boardroom that are making decisions. And that's just not the case. It's actually just normal people that are working in an office that make mistakes all the time and just live like any normal human being. And I think that's incredibly important. You know, some of the brands that I love are, you know, done in, done in the same way. And I don't think it's a necessity, but I think it's very hard to cut, to make noise in today's society. It really is. But having a personal brand that people can buy into, I think there's merit to it. And I think LinkedIn is just an absolute, just such a powerful tool where People want to see people do well. People want to see people succeed. And it just gives it more real life. So to anyone who's listening to this uh, this podcast right now, if they wanted to start a personal brand with their business or for themselves for their business, should I say, um, is there any advice you would give to them? I think build your LinkedIn to the best of your, you know, the best of your capabilities. You know, some people get so scared of like, I don't know what to put on my LinkedIn, that it just scares them away from, from LinkedIn. It's the same with, you know, a business plan. It was funny, I was sitting in a room with Stephen Bartlett once and he told 200 people that he hadn't written a business plan. And what I loved about that is there was probably 200 people in that room that were so afraid of starting their company because they didn't know how to write a business plan. But then there's this geezer who's mega successful that we all know and look at, as who's on Dragon's Den, who was talking about how unimportant uh, 30 page business plan is so i think that's really really important because there's no right or wrong way you know to to do things because we live in an unconventional world where people are doing things left right and center and the old school mentality of people is oh how have they done that well they've just done it a different way there's no timeline of of how it's got to be done you know in certain aspects yes so i think that starting a linkedin Asking for help, which is something that I never did. It wasn't even an ego thing. It was like a fearful thing. So I think asking for help. So if you know any other founders, I have people reaching out to me left, right and center. I try and help every single one of them. 
because I never got any help. I didn't ask for it. And also some of the times I got turned down. So I try and not be that guy ever. But LinkedIn and also just come up with a little map in your mind of not how to get to A to Z in one day, but how do you get to A to B? And that might just be connecting with all the people in your space. We used to do things where we wanted to get in loads of gyms in the early days of Can of Water. So I connected with thousands of gym instructors and people who own gyms. And I would subliminally just put can of water, Photoshop can of water in a gym and on the floor in different sort of sporting scenarios. And lo and behold, I would get a message from a gym instructor being like, oh, like, sometimes it's just perception. Sometimes it's not even real. It's literally just perception and building a brand, faking it to make it. And us boys, our whole infancy of can of water was faking it to make it. We didn't even taste a can of water um, for at least a year and a half um, from the day we had the idea to when we got the cans made because we needed 60 grand to make the cans. None of us had that money. So before investment, we hadn't even tasted a can of water. We were just telling people, yeah, it tastes great. It just tastes great. We were just filling up Coke cans and putting water in it and hoping that it tasted all right. You know, that's the mentality. We created a brand deck that was the greatest thing you'd ever seen, but it didn't exist. Don't worry about the semantics of it all. Just do what you can. I think that people are too hard on themselves and they've just got to not be and they've got to just uh, come up with their, with a route or ask for help and someone will have the answer. Over your career, are there any memorable or defining moments that stick out to you that you think if this hadn't have happened, I, I wouldn't be where I am today? I think obviously getting into like places like Tesco, or honestly, seeing randomers in the streets walking around with a can of water is just the maddest and most incredible feeling of it, nothing can beat that. You know, when you haven't placed it or it's, you know, and, and someone's actually gone out and bought it, you know, that's like a, a feeling of, of, of wow. And then there are just, you know, there are some times where things have gone wrong. And as I said to you, like scenarios where, we never thought we would get out of it. Um, one being in our busiest summer, we had hundreds of thousands of cans made and we basically found that every single can of still water had been filled with sparkling water. And we just thought there is no way that we're ever going to get out of this. Everyone's going to not want can of water. We have to recall everything. And it was the scariest moment. And we were all just sitting on, on, on our cans in the warehouse like, in tears being like this is it this is it and then you know getting through those things you know those things are they're defining moments of where growth happens and it's funny because seven years has gone so quick and it rarely do I sort of look back at the whole journey and sometimes when I'm and it's usually when I'm on a break so if I'm on holiday or and, I, and I'm not thinking at 100 miles per hour about what I've got to do in that day I will just have a really emotional moment of thinking about something that I forgot about. And it will just bring me back to why I am the person I am and how incredible the journey, all the bad and good, has been to form the growth of the person I am today. Conversely, what would you say is one of the hardest days that you can uh, recall during your career? One of the hardest days. There was a moment in Canada Water where we were about to lose our name. 
So there was a there was a lawsuit about uh, with a company in Germany that basically had a similar name to us, and they had the trademark for it, and they basically gave us thirty days, and we lost the court case. So we were about to lose the the name Cano Water. It was pretty petrifying, to be honest with you. I think that we didn't know what to do. We were in Tesco, we were growing, and um, we were in Hertfordshire, and we called up the guy, the owner of the other company, and told him that we were in Germany, which we weren't. It was a lie. And um, within four hours, me and my business partner, Ariel, were in Germany, and we literally were so drained and tired it was 30 degrees heat and we were in jeans and jumpers. And I can't remember half of it because I was so scared of meeting this guy uh, and telling him, you know, the, how painful this was. And yeah, burst into tears, told him how painful it was, told, showed him all the amazing things that we had done. And we basically broke a deal with him so we, we, we could use can of water. So that was you know, a story that no one really knows, but it's just, you know, it's just another another story of hundreds of times where things don't go your way and you're working on something and then something pops out that you need to deal with and you have to think very fast, how do I do this? Just for the benefit of the of the listener, what would you say is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned over your career? To not be so hard on myself give myself me time as well. So I used to get incredible burnout all the time. I used to like just be so hard on myself and punish myself just for, you know, not winning this or winning that. And I think that I've learned whatever will be, will be. And I can't control the outcome of certain things. Today, I give myself a lot more me time. So, you know, I go to the gym, I go on walks, I listen to copious amounts of music to sort of keep me keep me in check and I try and do like a bit of meditation or a gratitude list. So just gratitude list is a really good one. You know, with all the shit that was going on, I, I'm so grateful where I am today, like beyond grateful of where I'm today. And you've got to remember that stuff. You really do. So I think that it's just, as I've used the word growth so much, but you don't grow when you don't go through hardship. I really, really believe in that. And you have to learn. They're my proudest moments, really. What are your principles that you tend to stick to for success? Authenticity, like keeping the passion, like you, you need to keep your fire, um, staying humble. So like I'm, I'm really, really key, key on staying humble. Like don't forget where you started. Like never, ever, ever forget that. Treat people how you want to be treated. Don't bottle it, obviously, is, is the biggest. And... The importance of team, you know, I, I try and be a team player. Culture is something that is incredibly important to me. So the people downstairs are more important than I am. I'll tell you that for sure. They really, really are because there'll be no can of water without them. And uh, the last question that I've got for you today, Josh, is who is it that inspires you in business? Are there any notable people that you look to for inspiration? The main one's my dad. You know, my dad came from nothing. He grew up in a council estate with nothing, had to, you know, start from scratch and had to sort of fend for himself. He's unfortunately his dad died when he was when he was 12. So he didn't really have anyone to sort of look up to. I've always looked up to my dad. He's always been a figure in my life who's worked incredibly hard and reaped the benefit without 
but still putting his family first, which is just, you know, for me is absolutely everything. He's always taught me that like, you know, being comfortable is the main goal. And then family is, is everything. You don't need the world if you've got family. You know, he's always said that he's, he's a multi multi-millionaire just with his family, nothing to do with, you know, the money in his bank account. And I think that's, you know, really special. And then in business, you know, as I said, like David Attenborough, is an inspiration to me, maybe not in business, but just in, in the life. And notable people is obviously people like Stephen Bartlett, who I listen to Stephen's podcast. You know, I think that he's, he's really, really great. And I think that as an all-rounded sort of thing, not a person, but just any entrepreneur inspires me. Anyone that is trying, that is taking a risk and is making a difference and is doing the unconventional and inspires me. So if it's someone that's listening now or... It's someone that's listening that knows someone that's going through that that hardship and that pain. You know, you're an inspiration and don't stop. You know, that's that's massively important because you never know what's around the corner. Josh, I think there was a lot of really good advice uh, in that podcast and that's a really good place to uh, end the conversation. And But before we do, are there any uh, links to social media pages or is there anywhere that people can find more content from you? Yeah, so website, uh, canawater.com. Uh, any social media at Can of Water. And if anyone wants to message me personally for any advice, my Instagram is josh underscore white one. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us, Josh. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps. 